Welcome to Family Room Discussions, where I open up my family room to talk about the week's lessons from Come Follow Me. I'm not a church historian or a scripture scholar. I'm just an average Latter-day Saint seeking to grow my faith in Christ and deepen my testimony of the gospel and the scriptures. Discussing Come Follow Me with others helps me in my conversion. I hope you'll join in the gospel dialogue by sharing your insights. Without further ado, let's start this family room discussion. Sisters and brothers, family and friends, this is episode 36, following along with Ye Are the Body of Christ, 1 Corinthians chapters 8 through 13. And I've been getting asked, uh, Dalton, when are you going to catch up? I'm working on it. All right, I'm working on it. <laughs> I told Lex, I was like, I don't know how I got so far behind. But we're working on it. In the introduction, it says, In Paul's time, Corinth was a wealthy trade center with residents from all over the Roman Empire. With so many different cultures and religions in the city, church members in Corinth struggled to maintain unity. So Paul sought to help them find unity in their belief in Christ. This unity was to be more than just a peaceful coexistence. Paul wasn't asking them merely to tolerate each other's differences. Rather, he taught that when you join the church of Jesus Christ, you are baptized into one body and everybody is part, every, every body part is needed. When one member is lost, it's like losing a limb and the body is weaker as a result. When one member suffers, we should all feel it and do our part to relieve it. In this kind of unity, differences are not just acknowledged, but cherished. Because without members of diverse gifts and abilities, the body would be limited. So whether you feel like you've always been at home in the church, or find yourself wondering if you truly belong, Paul's message to you is that unity is not sameness. We need your fellow saints. You need your fellow saints. And your fellow saints need you. And amen to that. I have always felt um, comfortable. I've always felt needed and necessary when it comes to the church. There's been wards that I've been in where maybe I felt that less. Um, there were a lot of, I'll be honest, some young single adult wards that I've been in where I was like, I don't think it matters if I'm here or not. But overall, I recognize, as far as like church culture, I've been born and raised in it. And so I'm something that's very comfortable to me, it's it's not foreign at all. Um but I have been in situations that have been foreign, so I, I can empathize with those feelings of, especially for those who either were baptized later in life or those who have got, been less active in their activities in the church and are seeking to become more active, right? Or any change in general is uncomfortable and painful, and especially where the church is such a social institution, Um I mean, in a lot of ways, the church is the church because of the people who make it up and the connections that we build. Because it's such an, a social institution, it can be very difficult to try and feel like um, you're a part of it right away or that you're immediately accepted. I understand what that feels like. Um, Lex and I, early on in marriage, I uh, went to a new ward and we went in, we were nervous, we were uncomfortable, we were brand new and we were waiting for someone to say hi to us or, or, you know, welcome us, whatever. And no one did. Went through the entire church services. This was back, can you believe it, in three-hour church. And no one welcomed us. And I, we went home, and I was like, man, that was a very, like, cold ward, you know? It wasn't inviting at all. And then, you know, we went through the week, and we decided that the next week we were going to try and say hi to people and introduce ourselves. And we were like, well, if no one wants to, to get to know us, we'll at least try and get to know them or whatever. So the next week comes and we're sitting and there's this couple in front of us and Lex, you know, leans forward and it's like, hi, we're the Andersons. Who are you? And they were like, oh, thanks for saying hi. We're brand new. Uh, it turned out that that ward, everyone was brand new. And so everyone was feeling the exact same things we were, which is that we were sitting around waiting for someone to introduce uh, themselves to us. 
And it turned out that's what we all wanted, right? And that's often the case, I think, that um, there's obviously wards where they're well-established and maybe not as open or warm to visitors, but ultimately we all want to be accepted. We all want to be welcomed. And you know what the best way to to be welcomed is? is just to be that welcoming person. Um, it's very rare, especially as adults. I think that high school traumatizes us. I really do. I think that we... We go through high school and teenagers are cruel. And so we assume that the rest of life will be like that. And we grow up and at some point we recognize, uh, some recognize it early, some recognize it late. But at some point we realize that it's just not cool to be a bully anymore or to just be like needlessly mean to others. And so when people go out of their way to like say hi or be nice, you don't return animosity or rudeness to it. And... Um, I've even experienced where when I have had, uh, because even as an adult, believe it or not, I've had still rude interactions with people, even though I've been completely polite. And I have found that if you just really fight past that, push past that and just genuinely believe the best in someone or believe that they are just trying, or maybe they're just having a bad day, whatever it is, nine times out of 10, and really it's 10 out of 10, but nine times out of 10, I have found that if you push past it and continue to just be genuinely nice, you don't give someone uh, reason to be like, ah, I knew it. I knew you were faking it. And you just be a sincere person. Uh, you will push past those, you know, bristly people and get to that soft, gooey core. Because at the end of the day, we're all just, every single one of us, I promise you, is just a person who is seeking to be loved and validated and the meanest people in society are the ones that need it the most. Um, I've, I've found that to be true, that the people who have like the most love in their heart are the ones who are just genuinely nice and kind, and the ones who it seems like they're not that loving or kind really just are craving. They are desperate for that love. So if you struggle... The whole point of that is to say if you struggle feeling like you are welcome or accepted in church, I challenge you and invite you to be the type of person that you hope someone is to you. And what will end up happening is you will find that acceptance and that love, and you'll recognize that someone else was probably just hoping the same thing you were, that they just want a friend, they want someone to reach out to them, and be willing to risk those PTSD high school experiences of someone being rude and being on your first day. Be willing to risk it because I promise you it's worth it when you find those friendships and those relationships that that really become so near and dear to you. Um, that's at least been my life. That's that's what I've found. And I can tell you that I hate meeting new people. Everyone's, everyone thinks I love it because I've really pushed past uh, hating it kind of thing. But I, I really it still takes quite a bit of energy for me to uh, to do it. And ironically enough... At, at my job, I help with onboarding. I onboard new people. It's not like part of my job title or anything. It's just something that I um, got to kind of help participate in. And part of those onboarding duties is I get to introduce and welcome new people to the company when they start on their very first day. I'm their onboarding buddy, my unofficial title. And the whole job is is making sure that they are comfortable on their first day. And you know how I get through that as someone who really does hate like meeting new people is I recognize that it's my opportunity to make them feel comfortable the same way I would want someone to make me feel comfortable. And I have yet to, in my experiences doing this, found someone who's just like super rude. And this is from 
doesn't matter what age of person I've done this with, doesn't matter what job title from, I mean, literally help someone who was a senior level in the company to someone who's like entry level in the company, I've helped. That whole spectrum, I've yet to find or meet someone who's mean because turns out on someone's first day, they are usually the most humble they'll ever be. And so that uh, those teachings have helped me to push past that like when I'm sitting in my car being like, I don't want to do this. 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 And then I, I turn around and say, but gosh dang, I'm the best person to help make someone feel comfortable. And I just really double down on those talents. So do the same. All right, let's go through this lesson. In section one, it says, God provides a way to escape temptation. And in chapter 10, verse 13, it says, there hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. And this is a powerful promise and a powerful verse to be able to anchor our faith, especially as we're going through our toughest time, recognize that God trusts you with what you're going through um, and has made a way for you to escape. If it's your temptations or your trials, whatever it is, he's made a way to escape. Even if you've, you know, through your own actions and your own choices, change yourself to Satan, so to speak, I promise you there is redemption and that Christ truly can and will help you and recognize that sometimes that help or oftentimes that help you're going to need someone else, whether it's a bishop or a church leader, or a stake president, um, to be able to help you. And especially like a family network, having family and friends to be there for you. That's, that's the point of this life. I think too often we get so worried, especially if we've grown up in the church, because we have this, this whole belief that if we don't just stay perfect the entire time, we're somehow damaged goods or broken goods. And we forget, or we miss the mark and misunderstand that None of us are perfect, and none of us make it out of this life without sinning, uh, without getting the bumps and scrapes on the journey of life. And so you are not broken. You are not irredeemable. You don't need to suffer in loneliness. Uh, you don't need to do it all alone, I promise you. And often you won't be able to. You won't be able to escape Satan's temptations alone. So recognize that, that when God says that he's provided a way, He's also provided people in your life who can help you escape. They want to help you escape. And so don't do it alone. I've also recognized it's extremely difficult to be tempted when you aren't in places that you shouldn't be. And so to get rid of that double negative I just did there, it's very tempted to be, it's very difficult to be tempted when you're in the places you're supposed to be. When you are in the right places, when you're in holy places, very difficult for Satan to tempt you. But when you are walking almost willingly, right, into these crooked paths, very difficult, or very easy, rather, for Satan to be able to get you. So be where you're supposed to be. And don't, don't be spending your time in places that you shouldn't be, whether it's physical locations or on the internet or in social media, right? There are so many ways and so many channels that Satan has to be able to get you. Um, I found for me, the biggest thing is like time wasters. I like will waste time rather than doing good things. I will just waste time. And that is, uh, that's a sin is wasting time because time is a gift. And, and if I'm not doing good things or rather I've rec- I found too, that if I don't immediately start reading my scriptures first thing in the morning, that, a million distractions pop up uh, 
to prevent me from being able to read my scriptures until I have to go straight into my day, whether it's at work or dealing with the responsibilities I have, right? Like if it's a Saturday, yard work is a, is a big thing. And if I don't get up on time, then it pushes me and I don't read my scriptures, then it pushes me in and I have to go straight to yard work, which then pushes off when I'm supposed to read. And then I found that I've go, go days and it's the end of the day. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I didn't read my scriptures. What have I done? Right? So be where you're supposed to be and it's, and make it, make it a goal to make it so difficult for Satan to tempt you that he really like make him stretch. Don't make you stretch for, to be tempted or to, to fight temptation, make him have to work. And, uh, and I promise as you do that, that you'll receive even more strength through the Holy ghost. In section three, it says in God's plan, men and women are when men and women need each other. And I love what elder David Benar says, where he says that men and women are intended to learn from strengthen, bless and complete each other. And then this, the lesson goes on to say, how should this truth influence a marriage? How should it affect the way we serve in the church? Um, and I'll just follow it up with the scripture because I like it. In 11.11, it says, Nevertheless, neither is the man without the woman, neither the woman without the man in the Lord. And so all of this, to me, just ties into the fact that we cannot receive our eternal and celestial glory without each other. And, and I don't know, don't forget that. Never forget that. Recognize that the most important relationship you have is your spouse and build them up. Don't spend the time being so worried about your own insecurities that you tear down the most important person in your life to make yourself feel better. Um, part of our temple covenants that we make in the ceiling covenant is essentially the, that we will look after that person's needs above even our own. And so lose yourself in that, you know, the, the, the scripture says that he, he who shall, uh, maintain himself or, or whatever shall lose himself, him that shall lose himself shall find himself. And, and I think that's true, not only just as a general principle, as a general spiritual principle, but in our relationships that we end up really finding who we are when we devote our times and our energy into building up our spouse building up each other. The the world right now is super focused on tearing either men down or women down, you know, having segregating the two sexes into uh, attacking one another. And this is just a, a ploy by Satan to distract us. Don't get caught up in it. Don't get uh, distracted by this. It's not even part of the, the main fight. It's just a side tangent that doesn't really matter. Recognize that we are all equal and all incredibly necessary. We cannot receive our our full glory without the other. And so, to me, it's a it's a moot point when you know when it comes to I don't know which gender is is better than the other. Neither the answer is neither. In section four, it says spiritual gifts are given to benefit all of Heavenly Father's children. And so, I love studying gifts and going and and. Seeking after gifts, speaking of which, in chapter 12, 31, it says, but covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet show I unto you a more excellent way. And so we're commanded to go after the best gifts and develop. How do we do this? Through goals, through uh, prayer and study, and then action by practicing and and honing these in. Um, that's how. Now, all of these gifts mean nothing, and we learn this in in first Corinthians 13, 4 through eight, 
All these gifts mean nothing without charity. For charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish. It shall vanish away. And so you have to have charity at the end of the day. Uh, without it, none of the gifts you have, none of the talents or skills you have will matter. And honestly, no one cares how good you are if you don't love them first. Like, no one cares that you're the best at underwater basket weaving um, if you don't have a relationship with that person. There's, there's celebrity status, but celebrity status isn't love. You don't actually care about the people that are celebrities because... You know, it's the whole never meet your heroes because they'll only disappoint you when you meet them. And I think why is it that sometimes the world focus or or the people of the world focus so much on individuals that, that don't care about them, don't know them or whatever. We look up to these people, but then you build a relationship with them and then you're like, oh, you're just a regular human who just has happens to be really good at, you know, whatever sport or whatever talent singing or or whatever it is. And so charity is the most important. It's the one thing that won't fail, won't go away. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 9 to 10, it says, For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect is come, then that which is, which is in part shall be done away. And this to me just preaches that we have piecemeal information right now, and we need to be prepared for all information. Uh, which leads to then verse 11, which says, when I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. I used to think that this verse was Paul attacking me building Lego still as an adult. And as I read it this time, and as I went through, and having verse 9 and 10 leading into 11, I think it gives the context for me, which I recognize, I shared this with my family, which is that we really don't know everything. And so we get glued on to sometimes the process and procedure of the church and think that that's how it's always going to be, like using the example of three-hour church. Like, like we found it. This is the perfect structure. There will never be a different structure. And while no one complained about moving to two-hour church, it was a change. And so um, if you're someone who struggles with change, I, I personally don't. Usually, I mean, sometimes the more painful changes I don't particularly enjoy, but I'm a very go with the flow person, so I, I don't mind change as much. And if you're someone that doesn't like change, recognize that that is also part of putting away childish things. That just because the the church practices today are a certain way, it doesn't mean it's always going to act like that. And this isn't just man changing it. It's not the prophet changing it that it's the direction coming from God, that God is at the helm. You have to have this testimony because if you don't, then you're going to be frustrated by every single change that comes away. You're going to question and you're going to not be built on this firm foundation that will help you to go through every wave that comes and hits. And so when Paul says, put away childish things, to me what he's actually saying is quit acting like we have this perfect knowledge and grow up, grow up and recognize that change is going to come and be humble, be teachable, 
and learn and ask questions, but ask them genuinely, not cynically. Ask to learn, ask to recognize and learn true doctrine. And for the love, don't go doubting every single time something happens. And this is just a call out to individuals who really do doubt every time anything in the church happens or changes that it's, I'm like, dude, go back to the foundations that you have. Quit just being so earnest and willing to find fault in everything. Um, like Paul says, grow up. My invitation then to you is, is really a question. How are you going to put away childish, childish things this week? And I invite you to make a plan and act on it. Thanks for joining my family room discussion. And until we meet again, have a blessed week.